Y'all doing good? We got a whole pit crew performance we had to, uh, and then there's no backstage at this church, so it's all happening right before your eyes. Pay no attention. Everybody look over there. Oh my gosh, look at that. There's something over there that everybody should pay attention to other than this little dance that I'm doing right now. Why are you looking at me? Please stop. Uh, we've never done this together nope. before. Nope. This is a first and uh, I asked Britt, we're doing this Q&A, and I asked her if she'd help. I'd ask her if she'd be here with me. And she goes, are you sure that'll be good for your career? I said, absolutely. Um, you may or may not know this about us, but this one's the loose cannon, okay? <laughs> I'm a church boy, boy scout. I just want to do my job. Um, oh, but she's, <laughs> she, uh, she can mix it up a little bit. But hey, here's what I told her. I said, at the end of this thing, I would rather you have said too much than not said enough. So can y'all encourage her with me and just say, bring it and let me tune you up. You there? Uh, yeah. Am okay. I, am I there? All right. I'm a newbie, so if you can't hear me. Too bad. Okay. okay. Uh, before we dive in, can I tell you about these? Um, this is killing me because I can't wait to share this story with you guys. God is doing this incredible thing between our church and Vista Square Elementary. If you don't know what that is, um, it's a school in Chua Vista on 5th and G. And, and at um, Vista Square, it is the most impoverished and homeless body of students in our local school district here. They, they have over 35 unsheltered families, which means homeless by um, educational standards. Um, the pop population there is made up of three different groups. Um, number one is mom and dad are both on drugs and they're kind of couch surfing in the area and they bring the kids to school when they can. Second group is there are two shelters for abused women nearby and the abused women go running uh, to, to one of these shelters and the shelters make the kids go to school and so the kids are there and mom's at the shelter. And, and number three, there's two um, dumpy hotels nearby and mom stays at the hotel, takes the kids to school, and then sleeps with men for money during the day to make ends meet. And so we reached out to that principal with broken hearts and open hands mm -hmm. and just said, can we help? And she said, oh my gosh, we would love your help. And so she's essentially given us a pass to come in and do whatever we can to help the student body and the families there. And so next week, we do this big Christmas give thing. It's our biggest offering of the year and we give 100% of it away to people in need. And so I, I, there's so much more to the story. I get to tell you next week about it and we'll be gearing up for that. But in the meantime, we wanted to do something to just say, hey, families, we love you. We're for you. We're coming your way and we see you. And so these little tags are outside at our info center and there's 50 of them and all 50 of them line up with a different family in need at the school. And for all 50 of these, there is a unique list of Christmas items that that family needs. And, and so here's what we would love. I would love for us to take these, everyone go grab one of these. You, you go shop, you bring the groceries back and all the stuff. And then we're gonna send them straight to, it's groceries, it's Christmas items, it's all that stuff. Then we're gonna build a little team who takes all those items over to Vista Square as our way of saying, hey friends, we love you, we see you, and we're coming beside you in the season ahead. Uh, give, me a, give me a got it if you got it. Say, Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, we're doing love, sex, phones, and Jesus Q&A today. This is going to be a blast. Um, why don't you pray and then we'll dive and we'll go for it. Ready? Y'all good? Let's do All it. Right, give me your hand. <laughs> um, man, God, we need your help this morning. Um, I pray uh, for this church. 
Um, I just am very grateful that we belong to a church that we can have conversations about this stuff. So Father, I just pray for every um, person in this room that you would bring clarity um, to these topics. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you are here and you're going, what is love, sex, phones, and Jesus? Uh, It is a six-part message series we've done. This is part six, and so it might feel like you're coming in at the end of a a book and you missed the first five chapters, and this is six, and what are we talking about? I can get you all caught up in one long run-on sentence. This is the heartbeat of the whole series. It's simply this. When you recover or discover a well-developed unashamed, authentic view of biblical sex and sexuality, you find answers for some of your deepest longings, substance that helps you live well and flourish in a culture that's soaked in sexuality and sex, and you find the sex life you've always longed for. And so that's been our journey. And, and if you missed it, all five weeks of this series, there was a Q&A box where people have anonymously put questions in the box throughout the duration of the series. And we said, hey, we'll step up and answer them. So all that to be said, we're going. So uh, this might be a three-hour sermon. So if you need to grub hub it or something like that, don't worry. We'll just send them in, tell them where you're at in row and section. We'll have the welcome team bring you a burger or whatever you need to make it. Here's the first question. Uh, Somebody said, in week one, what you said about it being okay for women to have and express their own sexual appetites, or they said, I like what you said about women being able to have and express their own sexual appetites. Can you elaborate on this? And how is this handled well in single life and dating? And and if you're going, wait, what? Um, Well, this is week one in this message series. And and we commented on the fact that a lot of times church comes around sex. And and the narrative is sex is that thing your husband wants. And you got to deal with it and put up with it and roll your eyes and the whole thing. And it's for men to just want. It's for women to just tolerate. And we said that's not actually true when you come to scripture. And we dove into Song of Songs, and it's this love poem between two young lovers on their wedding night. And this is the young woman speaking in Song of Songs 416. Awake north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste of its choice fruits. And in scripture, amen, uh, you got a young lady who is clearly expressing sexual desires of her own. And so we just said along the way, if you feel like you've been kind of isolated or that cookie cutter that your church once stamped on you doesn't necessarily fit, there's space in the pages of scripture for you. I'm not going to elaborate on it. You talk. Yeah, I think it's okay to have and to desire a vibrant sex life. Um, When I think about how God designed sex to be, I don't think us women were meant to play this passive role. I don't think we were meant to have our husbands like ask us for the millionth time, can we have sex? And then we roll our eyes and we're like, fine, it's your birthday, fine, (laughs) kind of thing. Um, Like even when I hear um, this woman talk about um, the stuff that she's about ready to have, um, she's talking about good sex. She's excited for it. But I think to get to that good sex, I think it starts with unsexy stuff, which is communicating with your spouse. Um, Talking to them about your likes, the things that you don't like in the bedroom. Um, Maybe you find yourself in a particular season. Maybe you're already like putting on holiday weight and it's not even the holidays yet. And you're like, you know what, hun? In order for me to feel confident, we need the lights low. We're talking candlelight and that's what's gonna make it to where it's good. Um, Or maybe you're like us and 
I think our kids have some sort of like meeting every day to say like, hey, between like 5 a.m. and 10 a.m., Bear, you're going to be like hanging out with mom and dad. And then Penny, you from like 10.05 and on, you got to be interrupting them. Yeah. So we basically have to schedule our sex life out sometimes with these dang kids. Yeah. And again, you bowl of ice cream, you mash up some Benadryl, give it to the kids <laughs> before bed and let it, let, you know, let what happens happen. Yeah. Uh, I want to weigh in on, I, I just think this is a mature question, and, and I want to weigh in on the, the back end where they said, how is this handled well in single life? How do you do this in dating? And, and I was thinking about my young daughters and, and this question and what I would tell them. And for me, it would boil down to this. Um, you do not have to be smashed into some mold that doesn't fit you, especially when there's space in scripture to live a different kind of life. However, the answer is not throwing out biblical masculinity and femininity altogether. Because the picture that scripture paints of masculinity is to come beside a woman, celebrate a woman, serve a woman, and lift a woman up. And I think when that is done right and done well, it's something that women look forward to and embrace. Mm -hmm. But here's what I've seen. Um, in scripture, you, you have the same young woman uh, say in chapter 2, verse 4, he, that's her husband, has brought me into his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. And she is celebrating this. What does this mean? A banner, if you picture those, you know, guys on horse going to war with the flag, with the family symbol, their name, namesake. This is a young woman saying, his banner is over me. I belong to his family. We are united. I am his. He is mine. And she's celebrating that. Why? Because he's lived a proper picture and modeled healthy masculinity. And I get it, like, I'm his, taking on the last name is something that makes some young women bristle right now. But I've seen through the young women I have relationship with who have the hardest time with this, here's what happened. They, saw, they often saw masculinity abused. Especially in the church, they saw uh, biblical masculinity lifted up and what it really was was misogyny it, it dressed up and disguised as mm -hmm. biblical masculinity. They saw it, now they want nothing to do with it. And I would just say, if that's you or if that was your background, you have hard work to do. Because you have the hard work of throwing off the abuses you have seen, diving into the pages of scripture, and coming to understand what a godly man is and should be. And you got to study to get that. You got to keep your nose in scripture to get that and you need to. So you have to understand it. So you know it when you see it and you can celebrate it one day. Um, that'd be where I'd say to start. Um, we're going to keep rolling. Mm -hmm. I think the next person asked this, is it really that bad to have sex before you get married? Um, when I read this question, I just think um, you're aiming at the wrong point. Um, as Jesus followers, I don't think the purpose of our lives is to see how far down uh, the line of morality we can go before then turning around and seeing what Jesus has to say. But I think it starts with Jesus. I think it's taking a look at him, seeing the things that he values, what he wants for us before we're married, um, and starting there. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, this is the classic, like, how far is too far when you're dating? And it's just, you're asking the wrong question. The, a better question is, is how close to Jesus can I be? How surrendered to his lordship can I live? 
And, and I would just ask the question, if, if this is your question, I'd go, mm-hmm. hey, have you ever done something that wasn't God's vision for your life or God's best for your life and had it work out for you? I can tell you the hardest parts of my life, the most painful parts of my life, and my biggest regrets are all three related to times when I looked at God's vision for my life and said, no, thank you. I'd rather do something else. And, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this uh, on top of it. I, I think it's really that bad is, is still the wrong question because it points, paints this picture of God's vision for life. And, and then the opposite of God's vision is you're bad, you're yucky. But but that's just an immature concept. I think a better concept is, will you miss out on something? Or will it cost you something yeah. if you don't live God's vision for sex and sexuality? And the answer is yes. When you bond yourself, you know, we've been saying in this whole time, your sexuality is an expression and a sacred overlap of your phys- the physical parts of you and, and those sacred spiritual parts of you. And having sex with someone else blends those together and do those unblend easily? Well, the answer is no. And, and, and additionally, having an active sex life before marriage with multiple different partners and all kinds of different people coming and going out of your life, is that going to help you run into God's vision for sex and sexuality once you are married? The answer is no. I'll I'll just go back to week three when we had our talk with single people. and, And we said the only relationship designed by God to hold the explosive power of sex and sexuality is the marriage relationship. That's why, that's why, and I talk to my friends who are on the market and dating, they talk about sex and they go, man, we don't want to complicate things. We don't want to mess anything up. We don't want to hurt things or, oh yeah, we were having sex and, and then she got clingy or we were having sex and we stayed together way longer than we should have and all this bad stuff happens. You know what you never hear? You never hear two married people go, man, pastor, we've just been having all this sex and and our marriage, you know, we just can't, we can't focus on what's going on. Our marriage is kind of on the rocks. There's just too much sex going on between us. And it's just really made everything complicated. That doesn't happen. Why? Because the marriage relationship was designed by God um, to hold sex and for sex to flourish within that context. Um, we'll roll. Next question. Um, how do you break the soul ties developed from premarital sex? Man, this one's tough. Um, I prayed over this question, and it kind of boils down to this for me with this slide. Um, I view it as it is Jesus plus community over time. So when I say that, um, you know, this question, it says your soul has uh, been bound by having premarital sex with somebody else. So you then, you need to bind yourself to something, specifically someone stronger, more powerful to get through that, and that is Jesus. You can bring Jesus anything, and that's what I love. Um, He is the redeemer of all things. Um, You can give him any feeling. You can bring him your worst, and he's going to love you. He's going to show you grace. Um, I think having great people around you, supporting you, encouraging you. Um, Guys, this is why we have community groups, um, to dive into these these seasons um, where you need help through. Um, and this is all over time is what it, what it takes. Amen. <laughs> I'm not adding anything to that. I'll just make it worse. Um, next question was this. Cheating is not just physical. It's emotional too. What are the emotional lines that should not be crossed? 
I think this is a very wise question from whoever asked it. And it was me. Okay, thank you. It was me. <laughs> um, thank you. I'll just go back to our talk on this when we were diving into the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and, and remind you how sobering the statistics are about Americans and infidelity. Uh, the stats run like this. 57% of people have flirted via the internet or phone with a person outside the relationship. About 35% of wives and 45% of husbands report having emotional affairs according to the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. The percentage of men and women who admit to having an affair with a coworker is 36%. The percentage of men and women admit to infidelity on business trips, also 36%. Here it is. Up to 60% of all marriages will deal with at least one form of infidelity over the lifetime of their marriage. And here's the most sobering statistic. Most of the statistics are exactly the same among people who say they follow Jesus, which is why the whole message of this series has been take sex seriously, take your relationship seriously, take your marriage seriously, and take sex within it seriously, because this stuff is real. And if you remember that message back there in the, uh, that ser sermon series, we went to 2 Samuel 11 when David ends up having an affair. David is this Old Testament hero, man of God, and his life becomes a tragedy story in 2 Samuel 11 when he decides to sleep with this woman named Bathsheba who is married to another man. And, and we looked at that, though, and realized that infidelity is a process. And sexual sin begins with a look. You get this picture of David and he's on a balcony and he sees something, he looks, but instead of turning away, he takes a step forward and it takes shape in thought. He begins to uh, ideate these things and think about what he would want and imagine what he would like to do. Those thoughts become desires where he feels compelled and there's a stirring in him and a craving in him. And those desires finally gave birth to the action of infidelity that he committed. And, and here's how we look at this. This is a process of destruction where you begin a little destroyed, become more destroyed, and end up ultimately destroyed. Mm -hmm. Now, if that was just, I'm going, here we go. Okay. Watch out now. Uh, if that, that feels so much better. If we, if this was a path, if, if there was this like road, right, and, and every step along the way you became more destroyed, like every step you took along this path led to your pulse slowing down. And, and, and your, pul your pulse would drop a little lower and you'd take another step, it would drop a little lower, you would take and seven and drop till your heart finally stops down here at the end of this path. And I asked you, hey, how far along this path do you think is a good idea to walk? The answer's obvious. The answer's not at all. Because I'm a little destroyed, uh, I'm more destroyed, and I'm ultimately destroyed are not destinations I'd seek to end up. And so, you guys, I'm just saying, wake up. Protect your marriage. Protect your relationship. And run. You know, if it begins with a look and you feel that look lingering too long, get out of there, no matter how awkward it seems to be. So, we were just talking this week about practical ways that we do this in our relationship that we wanted to share um, just, to, just to give you some handles and some ways you could actually do this. Yeah, um, so a lot of you guys know I'm a labor and delivery nurse here in town. Um, I work with some Christians, mostly not, um, but I do see 
coworkers crossing the lines of flirtation a bit too often. Um, and there was even one instance where um, I'm at work and I'm sitting down taking my break um, and a friend, a coworker, she comes in and she's taking her break with me. And all of a sudden, she just starts opening up to me saying how she's pretty unhappy in her marriage. And um, they have a couple kids together, and it just so happened that an old boyfriend texted her that day. They'd been talking, and then he actually wants to meet her for drinks after, after work. And, man, I was just looking forward to lunch. I was looking forward to 30 minutes off work. And then um, God had different plans. And so um, it occurred to me that she didn't realize that she needed to have caution with this type of relationship. She didn't know she had to have a boundary. Um, so man, by God's grace, I was able to talk to her and she didn't end up meeting that guy. Um, I told her no good can come from meeting up with an old flame, an old boyfriend. It's, it's not God's best for you. Um, so when I think about how you know, I safeguard our, our marriage, if I get a sense that someone is getting a little bit too close to me than I'm comfortable with, if someone's flirting too much, if I start getting uncomfortable, um, I just start talking about Matt. And it really backs people off. Stop. <laughs> he got a new outfit. Isn't he cute? Oh, God. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> One of us went shopping. <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, say someone's talking to me and they're getting too close. Um, and they're like, oh, you know, you're into surfing, that's hot. And I'm like, oh, you know who likes to surf? My husband, he's such a good surfer. Like you should talk to him. Um, I, you know, I'll bring up dates that we go on. Um, I just really make sure this person knows you're not crossing this line, no way. I'm gonna protect this relationship no matter what. Yeah, I, uh, I have a couple practices I do where you know, we started adding some new leaders to our team uh, a few years back. And so, you know, there's a great staff team at Momentum. And, and as we add young leaders to the team, if they're, if they're women, for example, I'll, I'll just share my plans with Britt. And I'll say, hey, um, you know, this leader and I are going to start meeting weekly. Uh, we need to meet because we're talking about these sorts of things. I'm planning on having this meeting at this space in our offices or I'm out in the open uh, where it's them and I. And here's what we'll be talking about through that time. How's that sound to mm -hmm. you? And she gets veto power. So, so I'll run a rough draft by her and she goes, hey, actually, that makes me uncomfortable. Would you do it this way instead? Then I just jump on, absolutely, why not? And, and so I just run my plans. If there's anything, that's, anything that, that could ever one day be a thing, mm -hmm. um, because here's the deal, everybody who ends up in a compromising relationship never planned on being in a compromising relationship. So mm -hmm. I just let her edit. The second thing we've seen, this happen to us when we did ministry in Southern Indiana, Every now and then, uh, there's a, there, or there would be a you know, young high school leader in or somebody, and they're just, a, they got a vibe. Y'all get me when I say, ladies, you like get when, when somebody gives you a vibe, you know? Yeah. Sorry to sound, that sounds so California. Like the home record vibe. I retract that, yeah. <laughs> you know, and well, here we are. And she'll, she'll be like, hey, the way that girl is, what she's doing, the way she hangs around makes me uncomfortable. So, so I just try to fart in front of that girl as fast as I can. To, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I just try, I steer clear. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to flank you. You're coming around this side, I'm going that way. And we're going to be on opposite ends of the room as much as we possibly can just to keep it clean. Well, and lastly, I'll just add, like, maybe you're thinking like, that's kind of overkill guys. Um, but 
man, besides my relationship with Jesus, like this is my favorite relationship and I'm going to protect it no matter what. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, can pornography be okay in the marriage if both partners consent? Uh, short answer is no. And, and we'll get into some stories in a minute where, I mean, we're not oblivious to the fact that that's a thing. I'll just go right back to Genesis 2, 24 through 25. I think this was the first scripture that we actually looked at in this series. And it's the first time sex appears in the scriptures. And it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But it's this picture, one flesh, akad bara. It's these two souls being united, him with her, her with him. And to take pornography with its temptation, with its imagination, with its pictures, which it's, with its effect on brain chemistry, and to swirl that into the marriage relationship would be to water down and dilute something that it, and turn it into something that God did not have in mind. Um, for time's sake, uh, we'll keep rolling. Hey, and, and fair, fair, like, fair disclaimer, if we don't get to something or, or if you don't get an answer for something you were looking for today, um, just email, just hit us up, and, and we'll be sure. I'd love to continue to dialogue and keep this going. We're going to make it as far as we can. Okay. Um, the next one is, what do you do when someone in the marriage is struggling with pornography, and is this the same as being cheated on? And... The tip of the spear in this question is, is a spouse looking at pornography, what Jesus was talking about in Matthew, when he gives one of the reasons that it is permittable to divorce. And I looked at this question and immediately I was like, no, I don't think so. Uh, the statistics bear out when it's not viewed that way, the marriage ends up making it more often. But the more I thought about it, literally my mind went, what would I do if my daughter Lucy grows and gets married and then she comes back home early in her marriage and says, hey, mom and dad, I'm in trouble. Um, our marriage isn't going good. We haven't had sex in nine months. My husband's looking at pornography and he doesn't want to have any interest in me anymore what would I do with that? And what would I do in a number of other situations? And I realized there's no short answer mm -hmm. to this question, and it's situational. You got a man or a woman, and they've been looking at porn, and they confess to the spouse and to faith community, and they are sorry, and they don't want anything else to do with that. I think that's God's grace. I think grace covers that. I, don't, I, I just run to, you know, Jesus saying, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery. And, and so you can't throw out a repentant soul and disqualify the marriage relationship. Um, I go to another couple. We, we discipled together, specifically Brit. And her experience, just quick version for people. This is. Yeah, so some time ago I was discipling this woman. Um, she just became a Christian um, and had so many questions about the Bible. Um, she's the first person in her family that's uh, now a believer. Um, her husband doesn't go to church, not, not interested in it yet. And so we're meeting up for the first time and she shares with me like, look, I gotta be honest. Um, throughout my husband and I's sex life, we use porn. And guys, I was like 25 and I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'm <laughs> just listening in it. Um, so she's asking me, she's like, what do I do? Cause before I was a Christian, I thought it was okay. But now that um, I am a Christian, I'm thinking that maybe that's not God's best for us, but my husband still wants to use it. What do I do? And so no sooner I'm praying through 
how to answer this question. Her husband walks in and joins the conversation. And she invites him in. She's like, okay, hun, perfect. Britt's here. She's about ready to tell us what we should do. Remember how I said no porn and you said you want to continue watching it? Britt, we're listening. And it's oh. like, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, man. That's ministry life. And, Seriously. And, but, okay, look at that example. They were doing this thing together. And then she comes to Jesus and praise God. She goes, this isn't beneficial or helpful for me anymore. I don't want this. But God's will is not she turns around and divorces her husband immediately in that situation. You go to that other situation. If Lucy comes back and she says, dad, no sex, nine months. He won't. He's just into the porn, doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. That's another situation. Because he's essentially broken the relationship with the young woman and formed a new relationship with the pornography and that's a whole different set of steps. And that is why you should be in a community group. Mm-hmm. We don't just do this because you got to check a box. Are you a church? Yeah. Do you have groups? Yeah. No, we need community, you guys. We can't walk this walk on this world alone. And we need each other. Um, let's roll. Okay. Uh, it says this, lack of of spiritual engagement in my spouse is causing me to lose interest, what should I do? Um, I have a lot of compassion and respect for whoever wrote this in. Um, I'm not sitting up here um, saying like I grew up in church because I didn't. Um, I was a house that was divided growing up. I had one parent who was interested in church, um, got baptized reading their Bible, and I had another parent who didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, So I have a lot of compassion for for people that are in a situation like this. This is not easy. This is not an easy road. Um, So when I prayed through how to answer this, um, you got to go to the Word. So um, if you have your Bibles, um, turn to 1 Peter 3, and we're going to read a couple verses. Um, Starting in verse 1, Wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of their lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And I'll stop there. Um, These verses have gotten a bad rap in the past. Um, You know, we hear this word submissive women and we're like, ugh, like I don't want that. That's not for me. I'm independent. I'm strong. I don't need that. And I get it. I totally do. But ladies, when I read these verses, what I don't hear is nag your husband to death until he goes to church with you. I don't hear ridicule everything he does wrong and then he will finally get baptized and he's going to be the husband that you want. Um, Submissive, another word is respectful. It is being a peacemaker. It is being calm. It is showing grace on top of grace when they don't deserve it. It's that. It's being the best version of you that God created you to be of what is going to draw them to Christ. Um, I think that's it. Wow. All right, do that. <laughs> do that. Uh, I should just get out of the way. Do you want to just go? <laughs> nope. Uh, I need some help. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Uh, this, we're kind of breaking these down. There was sex, there was marriage, and then we'll talk identity and sexuality in a minute. Uh, how often should my spouse and I be having sex 
each week. Um, you know, honestly, guys, that just comes down to stage life. I mean, we're three kids, two jobs, coming and going, ministry. So we're down to like 10 times a week, yeah, something so. like that. Yeah. Uh, but, but for real, when, when we counsel young couples who are uh, in premarital counseling and everything, we just say, don't compare your sex life to mm-hmm. other people's. The, the best advice we can give is um, don't look around at other relationships. Don't, for the love of God, don't go to a BuzzFeed article. Please <laughs> talk and dialogue with one another. Talk in your marriage. What are your needs? What are my needs? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Hey, is this enough? Is it not? Oh, yeah, of course you'd like 12 times a week, but like, what's your realistic goal? And, and have a dialogue in, in community about what desires are. Yeah, and I would just add, um, sex is such a good reset button um, in a marriage. It almost works similarly like a defibrillator does. Um, There's Nurse Brittany. (laughs) I'm going to work it in. I feel comfortable talking that route. Um, But seriously, like a defibrillator, um, the heart's out of rhythm. You put the pads on the patient. You shock the patient, and it gets the heart back in rhythm so it can function more properly. Sex is the same thing. If you find that you and your spouse, you guys are bickering, he doesn't do this around here, I work so hard, this, 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 I think that's a great time to have sex. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, let me comment on that. The, the whole, one of the phrases that got repeated so much in this series is from week one when we said you may need to have sex most when you feel like it the least. Mm-hmm. I'm just letting you know, I didn't come up with that. That came from right here. So, so any of that easy for you to say, bro, you know, no, that's, that's something I learned from Brit, uh, thank God, and, and keep learning over and over again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but but that, it's something that we believe in and we think it's a part of healthy couples living a healthy marriage together. Um, Okay, uh, on to a lighter one. Um, is blank okay in our bedroom? Um, and, and I think the spirit of the question is, in a married relationship, married couple, is this okay? Is that okay? Can we try this? Can we do that? Can we, um, you know, whatever it is that you got in mind to experiment with in the marriage bed? Um, and here, here's what I came to and study this week. Three quest- questions you should ask um, is simply this. Is it lawful? Like, if it's don't illegal, illegal, don't do it. Yeah. And, 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 and if you're struggling with wanting, no, just no. Get help, okay? I love you. In Jesus' name, get help. Two, is it helpful? Uh, I run to 1 Corinthians when Paul says, under the grace of God, many things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And he's saying the grace of God is so big and expansive. There are so many things now that will not send you to hell because you will be covered by grace. But that grace is not an excuse to go and do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And not everything you are free to do under grace is going to be beneficial in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last one is, is it hurtful? And, and I mean, let's imagine you have two selfless lovers, you know, a couple having a healthy dialogue about what they want to do in bed. And one person says, I want to try blank. But the other, and the other person's trying to meet them where they're at. But, but emotionally or physically, it's just too painful. It, it would be on the other partner to, to lay that down and say, hey, it's hurtful to you. That's not something we're going to do. And it's not something I'm going to pressure you into. Yeah, and I would just add, like, specifically for husbands, like, don't talk to your wives and say, like, hey, I hear so-and-so does this, so I think we should do that too. Comparison never works. Um, so I would steer clear of that. 
And then we use this phrase when it comes to parenting, but I think it applies uh, for this as well. Um, just use grace-centered openness um, when you're sharing with your spouse um, the, what you're wanting to try. I think like it's such a vulnerable thing that they're sharing. So when they talk to you, um, control your face, um, listen to them, don't be so quick to shut it down, digest it, um, yeah. Awesome, great answer. Okay, so we're going to transition a little bit now to the section of questions that were about sex, sexual identity, sexuality, and that sort of thing. I'm just going to preface it as we go in. Um, God's, God is love, mm -hmm. and Jesus Christ was equal parts grace and truth. Yeah. What does that mean for us? It means God loves us so much. He has shown us what is true and right and pure and good. And he also loves us so much in our brokenness and in our fallenness, the bounds of his compassion are endless. And I'm putting that as an umbrella over all of these questions as we move forward, saying none of them are easy answers. And we're going to do our best mm -hmm. to talk about the love of God and the truth of God as we address these together. Um, first one was young kids, boys and girls seem naturally curious about the physical body, not necessarily sexuality. This leads to a child searching on phone or internet for nude bodies. How can we address this without shaming the child, but also keeping them, uh, not keeping them from God's truth? Um, so with this question, I think it's actually a normal biological progression. Um, as a nurse, um, I'm raising my kids to understand their bodies. Um, I'm pretty sure like our oldest, she can already say all the different stages of childbirth because I talk about it at home. I think she already knows what an epidural is. Um, but, but we talk about um, our bodies. We talk about organs and how they work. Um, and another tip is, um, well, I'll back up. Um, in your guys' outline, we, I mean, we've been talking about resources. Um, that we have um, to have conversations with, with your kids. I, I would start there. Um, kids are curious um, about this stuff, but parents, we need to have um, a language um, in, which, in which to use. So in the back of your bulletin, there is a list of resources. Um, I actually already have a couple of these books in my Amazon account, um, and I'm excited to go through them and just start to have conversations within our home um, about this stuff. Um, but I would, lastly, I just said, um, we use actual words when it comes to like organs in the body. We don't, we don't say like flower when we're talking about vagina. We don't say pee pee when we're talking about penis. Like we use real words because I think when you use the real words, um, it takes the shame away when it comes to kids. Um, yeah. I would just say, I, I took a note and it says, just as parents, don't underestimate the power of first word. And as a parent, I mean, you know, our kids are going to public school and we know they're going to hear some things that are helpful and help them grow and are beneficial. And they're going to hear some things taught that we disagree with. Mm -hmm. And so we just believe in the power of first word. Like by, by, by speaking to your kid about things before anybody else, as a parent, there's a moral authority God has given you, mm -hmm. and that shapes reality for that child. And so um, you'll always hear us say in student ministry and kids ministry, it is better to talk about these things a little too early mm -hmm. than it is a little too late. So um, we'll keep rolling. Um, next question was, I believe sexuality is a spectrum. Some people are feminine, some people are masculine, male or female. This has been true throughout Christian history. Does the Bible talk about this? Am I wrong? And, and what this question is driving at is the spectrums of sexual identity. 
So I have a good friend who works on several university campuses in the Northeast, and he talks to us about what's being taught in gender and roles and sexuality and all that stuff. And basically, people are being introduced to three sliding spectrums. There's biology, performance, and gender identity. Biology is your look, like your physical body. How broad are your shoulders? How deep is your voice? How much hormone runs through the body? That's biology. They talk about performance, how you dress, the way you speak, your posture. And then gender identity, what you feel like you are. And those three, they say, work on a sliding scale. And every human has a different spectrum of those identities, which would make up the totality of your sexual identity. And I want to tell you something. The church is missing, the church is so behind on this. That is entirely possible theologically and physiologically. It is entirely possible for that to be the case with people. Uh, Theologically, in, in Genesis 3, there was a fall. God designed a good and beautiful creation. Sin happened, and that sin caused so much disintegration confusion and all kinds of hurt and brokenness. And it is entirely possible for that disintegration and confusion to run through history and into someone's sexual identity. That is possible and it happens. It's also possible physiologically. There's different bodies, different, different cases of, of different hormones being run through different bodies. But here's the reality. That's entirely possible. But at the same time, Every single one of us, if we believe Jesus has everything everyone's ever been looking for, no matter who you are, what you've been handed, what you feel like, your goal is to entrust the fullness of you to the Lordship of Jesus. Our spiritual goal for every single human being is to surrender all of us to Jesus. At this church, the verse underneath everything we do is John 1, 4. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of mankind. If Jesus is full of light and life, the more surrendered you are to him, the more of that life runs through your soul. And that is our goal for all of humanity. That's it. Secondly, the question is, how does the church respond? My answer is with great compassion. Mm-hmm. I think the church universal is in the middle of a great test and it is to see how much Christ-centered compassion we can share with the world around us. I didn't say how much can we bend scripture to fit culture around us. I said how much compassion can we as the church extend to the culture around us. That is our hope and the answer for humanity. It is. Homosexuality, what are your thoughts? Short answer is I'm not telling you my thoughts. I teach scripture. I believe Jesus is Lord. I bet a lot of you could speculate some of my thoughts. Um, I'll make you a deal. In your notes section, there's two great books that approach Jesus and the homosexual community from two completely different lenses. You read both of those books cover to cover, I'll sit down with you one-on-one, I'll tell you everything I think, and I wanna know what you think. But what I do wanna point to is I feel like in our presence and on our watch, the church is making three big mistakes when it comes to our approach to the homosexuality, homosexual community. Number one is isolating this issue 
from the other issues that it's mentioned alongside of in the New Testament. Every time homosexuality is mentioned in the New Testament, it's mentioned alongside other practices that aren't deemed as beneficial for humanity. Every single time it falls in a list among other things. But for some reason in the church, everybody wants to lift that up out of the heap, maybe because it makes me feel better about my unresolved sin issues. Let's all point at this and speculate about it. That's not what scripture does. And it's not what Jesus followers should do. Second big mistake is speculating about this issue theologically without having a relationship with anyone who's actually going through it. I find nine out of 10 times when people, you know, and I'm guilty of this, Bible college, trying to figure out how I'm going to pastor and what I would do in certain situations. But, but what I find is when, when, when you're not actually discipling somebody in the issue, it's really easy to have all kinds of theories about what the church should do. I mean, well, you could apply that to alcoholism. Okay, it's wrong. You shouldn't be drunk and beat your wife. And then you get involved in a family. You roll up your sleeves. You try and love them well. And you see how complex everything is. You, you respond with a lot more compassion. And I think, I think usually when people are speculating about what they would do without discipling somebody or being in relationship with somebody from that community, they usually end up just building a bunch of walls around the gospel. And that's messed up. Um, my first experience uh, was in southern Indiana. A police officer came into my, as a youth pastor, a police officer came into my office uh, with a young son um, who got drunk at a sleepover and ended up in, some, in a homosexual situation with another young man who was there. You get in that room and you sit with that family and all of a sudden all your theories change. My second big experience was with a, a, one of my favorite, most beloved kids from the youth group that we led together in Southern Indiana. She baptized 18 of her friends in high school came out of the closet in college and was in San Diego and said, Matt, I'd love to catch up. I said, I'd love that. Let's talk. Everything changes when you sit down at that table. My third experience was, was two women who were in a relationship with two kids over the age of 10. And they discovered Jesus together. And they said, we're starting to feel this Jesus thing and we're starting to wonder what he would say about some of these things in our lives. We don't know what to do with our kids. Matt, can you help us? Everything changes. Third and finally, the number one concern for any healthy Jesus follower and any healthy church should be how do we build a bridge between this community and Jesus? That should be our preoccupation. Great men and women of God have come, and, come along and done that in foreign nations. Great men and women of God saw the lostness of the Dejang people in China, and they looked at it and they go, how do we build a gospel bridge between these people and Jesus so they can get to the one who loves them? Great men and women of God came alongside of alcoholics and, and those in recovery and go, how do we build a bridge between these recovering people and Jesus? And then you look at the homosexual community and the whole dialogue just becomes, are they in or are they out? And that's nonsense because I should be out. Mm -hmm. I was a mess. I was addicted, drunk, selfish, and reckless. But a youth ministry built a bridge between me and Jesus and I found him. And I'm transformed because of him. 
And I go, how could we, can, how could we even concern ourselves with any other issue rather than let's help people get back to the God who made them and loves them? That's right. That's it. That's it. Um, sexual identity, feelings about homosexuality, gay, lesbian, bisexual, clear, etc. How to approach children or teens about this. Um, three things. Be grace-centered. Create an environment in your home where people can always talk about everything. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you watch the people who ran up to Jesus with, with what they were going through, you quickly find out there was something about Jesus. He was just the kind of guy where you felt like you could run to him and talk about anything. You become that kind of household. Two, be sure of what's specifically going on. I found in families that I've worked next to and counseled through situations like this, often you ask a few questions about what's really going on with this young man or this young woman, and you find out they're just lonely. You find out they're looking for friends. You find out that they haven't gotten any attention um, sexually or romantically, and they're just looking for something. And when you sit in that space and get to know what's going on, usually the solution becomes so much more simple and so much more clear. And then finally, be slow to label or pathologize. We, we just say, um, Jeremy, uh, uh, you know, one of the pastors here, ha has this great thought about the way that um, deep friendships don't exist in young people like they used to. So, so in the 80s and 90s, I mean, it was common to have a best friend to be at their house 24-7, spend tons of time with them, dress like them, be with them. And now that, that's not exactly there. And so there's things that families look at that would have just been called a deep friendship in the 90s that people start getting all up in arms about or concerned about today. And it's like, slow down and, 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 and don't label so quickly or, or even pathologize. Don't, it's this, I know it's this. Oh my gosh, how are we gonna respond? Just, just watch and love and God will take care of it. Would you add to that? This is just going to highlight how weird of a child I was um, growing up. So in my immediate family, there were three kids. Um, there's my older sister, who's four years older than me. There's myself. And then there was my younger brother, who was four years um, younger. And um, so there was a season where my sister, she would be at a sleepover, a football game, movies with her friends. And it's Friday and Saturday night, and I'm bored, and I just want somebody to hang out with, play with. And there's my little brother. He's like eight years old or whatever, and he's playing with army men and G.I. Joes, and he's got his friends there. And so innocently enough, like, and me and my family, we joke about this now, but I would just pretend that instead of being Brittany, I was Brian. Like, I'm not, I can't make this stuff up. And so I would walk in, and I'd be like, They're hey, like, we're not I'm, listening to you guys anymore. <laughs> no. Like, hey, I'm Brian, like, and let's play. And so we would continue to play army men and GI Joes and, and I would just talk in a deep voice and it was rooted in innocence. Um, and my mom was actually visiting this past week and we were laughing about how I would pretend to be Brian growing up. And then we just started talking and thinking like, if that same thing happened today, would it be looked at as that innocence of just yeah. trying to hang out, have a friend? Yeah, and that's why some of the, some of the best wisdom around this is just be slow be loving and watch what's going on. Um, I got to share the best word I heard on this 
was from uh, Pastor Simon Mbevi from, from Nairobi. And he was visiting a prayer thing that I was watching and offhandedly, and you know, in, in other countries, sometimes they don't have all the sensibilities that, that exist here. And he just offhandedly said, um, fathers, it is your job to call out masculinity in your young sons and femininity in your young daughters. And I am telling you, that is a healthy practice. It is, and it shines light and life and clarity into the lives of our young ones. And so um, we'll wrap on this one. Somebody asks, how do we live as faithful Jesus followers in a world covered in so much sexual temptation? It feels like there are so many ways to fall. Yeah, we just wanna point you to a scripture as we finish, um, our whole heart and our whole hope has just been to point to Jesus and point to scripture, believing that in Jesus is life and in scripture, there's answers that really help you flourish today. So why don't you read our Hebrews passage yeah. as we wrap? So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Yeah, if we could just use that to point us one more time to Jesus, that's our heart and that's our hope. Um, that scripture says, who is Jesus and what do we do with him? Who is Jesus? He's not a distant tyrant. Yeah. He stepped into life that we know. He stepped into flesh. And he had to fight all the same battles that we do. He was subject to all the same temptations as us, which means we have a savior who understands. Secondly, what do we do with him? The scripture says you hold firmly to your faith. There will be a growing amount of voices who tell you this isn't enough, mm -hmm. but we just want to say it is. There's going to be a growing amount of voices that tell you Jesus isn't enough. We just want to be voices that tell you he is. And it says, when you go running to Jesus, what do you find? You find mercy. That means in Jesus, you go running to him with whatever it is, and you find you are a resting place for his unfailing kindness and love. It says you go running to Jesus, what do you find? You find grace. And grace in this passage means you get real, tangible power. Power to live well. Power to overcome temptation. And power to become what you could never become on your own. And that's what you find in Christ. Um, so one last time, we believe he's the answer. Uh, we thank you guys for being on this journey. Um, on the real, I thank you for being the kind of church who lets mm -hmm. me go running after this stuff when I preach. And all I've got the whole time is encouragement. Um, next week, I am dying to tell you more about what God's doing in this community and how we're going to change some lives this winter. Be sure you grab one of these on your way out to get the party started. We'll see you back next week. Love you guys. Peace. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week. Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. 
A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect a Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message.